The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Can I see your identification? Right? So she shows me identification. She comes in the building. Can I have a soda? I say, yes, ma'am. Do you have toothpaste? So we don't carry toiletries in assisted living. So I had to go in my bag. I gave her my toothpaste. I said, here, ma'am, here's my toothpaste, my own person. She goes, no, no. I said, ma'am, just take it. To make yourself comfortable. I said, you're good. Very nice to meet you. Hope to see you soon. That's crazy. I, I, I can cut this part out, but like, I don't even know if you talk about where you work or not. Uh, just in case you did, I started. I work, at, I work at assisted living. I work the front desk overnight. I didn't, see, no, I didn't know that. I knew you did something like that, but I didn't know exactly what it was. Yeah. Earbuds. So this sounds better. I bet you see so many crazy things happening that we well, don't we have. We have a new resident and she's a, uh, she's a lady. And she walks around with an open beer can all night, drinking. <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. I'm begging she never asked me to go in her apartment. I got like I have a bad feeling about it. <laughs> Is there like a lot of sex going on in assisted living? Because I always heard that there was. Yeah, there, there's mixing and matching. I just don't catch it. Or if I see them together, I just go about my business. <laughs> I love it. I read that you got your start through movies, but was it after you were wrestling that you did the church? Well, tell us about yeah, that. After wrestling, after wrestling, I did the church. They made it sound like you were discovered from wrestling from the church, and I didn't think that story was right. So I wanted to find out. You got you got afterwards, but let me know a little bit about how you started in wrestling because that I need you to refresh me on that, and then we'll get into the church a little bit and into acting. Okay, so way I started getting involved in wrestling was um, I was good enough to play, you know, Division One basketball. I, I, okay, I, that I got. And then I just watching TV one day. I saw these athletes. I saw wrestling. I said I could do better than these guys. Went to Johnny Rogers School. Okay. And then I went to uh, I enrolled in the school. And this is when I was working for the at the World Trade Center. I lost you. I'm right here. I just gave you the solo. Okay, and I was working in the World Trade Center, and I was a rates analyst for K-Line, working on the 99th floor, and um, things took off from there, and I started doing the WWF TVs, and, uh, you know, wrestling just took off, and then, like, you know, I just started traveling, and, you know, by my second year, I was in Japan, I was in Puerto Rico, my third year I was in Santa Domingo. Wow. But, you know what I mean? And then I went to Memphis. Then I went back to Puerto Rico for three years. Then when I came home, I went to all uh, Japan. And then from all Japan to ECW, WCW. Then I went to the XWF. I did some Iron Man stuff in Germany. Went back to Japan. Did TNA. Then the WWE. And then after the WWE, I went overseas with uh, Rikishi's group. Mm-hmm. When they were doing all that stuff. 
So, I mean, I kept busy and then I wound up going to Brian Dixon uh, to live in England for six months. Came back and I started doing independence and then, you know, just did the whole thing. And, you know, I, I went as long as I could and then I uh, took a regular job. After the regular job, you know, and then I said, okay, I want to open up a wrestling school. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I opened up my own wrestling school in uh, Clearwater, Florida. And that's why when everybody said, oh, you live at Hogan's, I really did live at Hogan's because I was there after work all the time. <laughs> it was on the way home. So I used but, to hang at Hogan's. It was, uh, it was cool. My I think I'm feeding back. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I'm getting so annoyed. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. I got ear I got earbuds in. I'm plugged into the into the hard line. Does it sound any better now? Yeah, I could hear you. You know, do you want is your quick is it everything all bagged up like that bad? I mean, as long as you, can you hear me because you sound really clear. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. No, I I appreciate this. I want to talk about when you played basketball. Do you think or what about playing basketball? Because it seems like you just like rocketed into wrestling, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm doing these TV tapes. And it's like, that's not everybody's story. It usually takes people like just a ton of time on the indie circuit. Is it because just because of how you looked or your gimmick? Or do you think being a bas- year of training at Johnny Rogers school and I was doing the independent scene and then a, a gentleman by the name of Sonny Blaze who used to do get the enhancement talent, said, hey, you want to go to WWF TVs? So within my first year, I was in the WWF. And right before I went there, Johnny had sent me to WCW in Baltimore, Maryland to do one of their TV tapings. And that's when I wrestled beautiful Bobby. Okay. Okay. So how important is it being in a really great wrestling school if you want to make it in wrestling? Like 100%? I tell everybody all the time, the one question you have to ask your trainer is, what is it like to sign a WWE contract or sign a WCW contract or be a prominent figure in ECW? Because that's the error, right? Yes. So your goals are different because you want to get to Puerto Rico and work for Carlos. You want to get your Ribera jacket and you want to go to Japan. You want to wrestle for the WWF. You know, now it's like you just want to be this wrestler who does all these high spots with no psychology and you just all over the place. But the hard work you had to put in, I'll use a, I'll use an example. It might not be the best name in wrestling, but it's the best example. There's a gentleman by the name of Chris Benoit. Sure. He's a hardcore wrestler, right? Where did he get his training at 19 years old? He went to a dojo in Japan. I believe all Japan or New Japan wrestling. Okay. You lived there. When you lived at the dojo, you slept at the floor, you cleaned the ring, you put the ring together. They hit you with kendo sticks. They made you into a tough son of a bitch. That is not practice today. When you were at Johnny Rogers, you learned how to wrestle from the bottom up. If you couldn't get up, you couldn't wrestle. So you had to learn how to wrestle. Me being an athlete of a basketball pedigree, I, I played, I was good enough to play Division One basketball. I tried out for the Olympic baseball team. I was going to play semi-pro football. 
when I started um, wrestling, they saw how, how aggressive and tough I was, and they knew of me from Staten Island. Hey, you want to box? We need a white heavyweight. We'll give you a job. We'll pay you a salary. And like that was during the Tyson era because they had no white guys to fight. I was like, no, I like wrestling. I'm good. You know? So just being an athlete, but you have to know how to put the time in. You have to put the training in. This is not just a, you show up and you, you're golden. It's not like being one of the rosebuds and you say, I made my debut on the WWE. And then all of a sudden you're a star. And then you have the WWE insignia. Or it's just like today, everybody is elite because they do a little TV segment at All Elite and they're a security guard. And then all of a sudden you say, I'm elite. Those are things you want to hide because you don't want people to remember you as being that security guard. They want you want them to remember you as busting on the scene. Really? Not for what you did before. You know, when I went to all these different places, right, the guys used to tell me, Vito, you can't be doing TVs if you're in territories because the people watch the WWF. So how are these companies supposed to push you? Made sense, right? Even though the WWF was giving me regular work and I was working in Indies and everybody thought I was a regular um, contracted employee at the WWF. I had notable, I was on five times a week on superstars and all star and all this stuff. And that's how I got my notoriety of Skullbound Crush. And then as I went through the ranks, Skullbound Crush is here. He's in uh, the WWF, he's in WCW, he's in um, Santa Domingo, he's in USWA, he's in WWC, he's uh, in ECW. And then until I changed my name to Vito the Skull of Rasa, and then I became Big Vito and became my own persona. Mm-hmm. That's how the legacy started, like for me. A lot of guys don't go through that. They just want to go to do a couple of trainings and then jump to here. It don't work. Don't you, don't you think it's just a whole different era now? Yes. I mean, and I, I would say what for somebody that hasn't been in wrestling their whole lives, because I started out in 2002. So that's, that's a good 20 years ago now. Yeah. No, almost 20. Yeah. 19. Uh, how different was what you're describing to the business around the TNA days? Had it softened up in TNA days because you still had, you know, your Kurt Hennig's, your, your Dusty's, you still had a lot of those guys around, even um, Butch. Is it, was it way different in my era than it was with what you're describing now about hardcore training? The thing was the veterans took the time to teach you and you learn from the veterans, right? Honky Tonk Man, Bill Eady, Jimmy Snooker, um, Jimmy Powers, S.D. Jones, Cousin Luke. Um, you know, then you talk about when I went to Memphis, mm-hmm. you talk about the Pokey Woogie Man, the Dream Machine, Jerry Lawler, Doug yes. Gilbert, Eddie Gilbert, Brian Christopher, the Moon Dogs, And you learn a whole different style. When you go to Puerto Rico, you learn from the Carlos Colons, the Abdul the Butchers, the Invaders, the Savio Vegas, you know, the Miguel Little Perez, the Hurricane Castillos. You know, and then when you go to Santa Domingo, it was Jack Veneno was the star. And then he had his nephew, his son and everybody else. So you go through the ranks of that. And it's a whole different era and a whole different thing. You know, then when you go to Germany, it's a different style. 
And when you go to uh, England, it's a different style. They don't have that capacity to teach that style anymore. That's why we don't have too many well-rounded wrestlers who know how to act on TV. And it's not their fault. It's yeah. just opportunities. The big thing is, is that today they pay you to train. Back then you paid to train. And the way you got your experience was by going to these shows. They paid you. If you're hurt, go home. How are you feeling today, kid? Hey, I'm good. No problem. Oh, you know, I got hurt. I got a little thing. All right, thank you very much. We're not going to play no more because you're complaining. Got to be tough. If Billy hit you and you went back there and said, oh, Bill hit me. No, I gave it back to him and I gave it back to everybody else. And they saw I was tough and they saw I was eager to learn. I didn't complain. And these guys saw like I wanted to learn. I wanted to grasp. On some cards, like a gentleman by the name of Tommy Jeanette, he he brought me in with Johnny Rods, and he was short wrestler. I said, hey, Tommy. I said, can I work a deal with you? He says, what do you want, Vito? I said, I was very well liked. He says, what do you want, Vito? I says, listen. I says, I know you got to your short wrestlers. I said, how about if I wrestle under a mask in one match, and then I wrestle as, you know, Skull Bomb Crush on the second match, and then if you're doing a double header that day, like you're doing the uh, the uh, afternoon show and the night show, I could work four times, pay me $250. I says, and I go home, I'm happy, and I get to wrestle four times because I love to wrestle. I would wrestle four times in a day with no problem. That's the mentality I had. Wrestle, 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 wrestle. You didn't think about what is this doing to my body or... You just no. wanted to wrestle. That's because it was a different time, different era, and we were not educated to know what it does to your body. You are an athlete. You're a wrestler. That's what you did. I wasn't going to talk about this now, but let's segue into it to uh, CTE. Yeah. Okay. Article. And uh, me, I dated a lot of pro football players who really suffered from this. And, I mean, people can say – oh, that's too bad, or does it happen, or it happens. But until you've like really lived with somebody that you can just see the, the massive damage that all of those hits in pro ball, uh, what toll it took on him. I mean, it was anything from just forgetting everything at such a young age to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and he wasn't bipolar, and he wasn't schizophrenic, and he didn't have a split personality. It literally was... You could just see his mind like melting down, like it was deteriorating, or like it was somebody who had Alzheimer's or dementia. And I don't think it's talked about that much. And I didn't really think about it until I read uh, some of your article, some of the interview, um, listened. I, I didn't, um, I didn't think about it in per- pertaining to wrestling. So let's talk about that a little bit because I only thought about it with with football with with what I thought of as contact sport, but obviously wrestling is about as contact as they come. Well, I mean, when you're wrestling back when I started, nobody educated you about what would happen. But the, the knowledge was there of what a concussion, to me, a concussion was you had to be knocked out. It wasn't standing and being out on your feet. It wasn't being rocked away. To me, a concussion was you had to be knocked out. You never were knocked out, you never had a concussion. But wrestling four times in a night, wrestling two times in a night, 
wrestling all that time, practicing on the same day you're wrestling. It's like you're in a car accident every time because of the hard-hitting action that you're involved in, right? So after time, like my jaw is cast iron, my head is cast iron. Your brain gets scrambled because your brain is not solid. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And when your brain is rattled, you know, you can feel it. And you say, that's something's not right, but you don't know. And then when you just, you just repetitiously going and when your adrenaline's going, you don't know when you're hurt, when you're not hurt, because you don't know. You're not medically educated. And that's the best way to explain it. And then when I see guys today, after they've been educated, they know about it. There was things that were put out there and they're still doing these stupid moves and doing hardcore matches and jumping off things. Like what? Getting hit with chairs or jumping off a scaffold or jumping off. I just seen somebody jump off a a building through a a burning table for 40 bucks. God. Jeez. Would you do things differently now or would you still go back and do it the same way that you did? I guess if you're educated, you have to look at it different to say, okay, I'm not taking a clean headshot. Nobody put their hands up. Nobody defended themselves. You took, when you took a chair shot, you took it and that's it. You didn't, you just didn't do it. When you took a kendo stick to the head, it was taking three shots to prove that you're tough and rocking and doing your thing. But guys, you just didn't know what it was doing to your body because that's the that's the persona of the wrestler and that's the education we had. So there was no preparation for afterlife after wrestling when you're going to get Alzheimer's, dementia, um, and all the things that go along with it. So that's what everybody's seeing. You happen to live with somebody who did this and who went through this. Mm-hmm. So you can see firsthand. When you look at a, um, a Ray Hernandez, the football player, he had terrible, he had a mind of an 80-year-old. You had numerous amount of other people, wrestlers, who have been diagnosed with CTE. Mm-hmm. And they're coming from an era before me, and they're going through. They weren't educated because he didn't know. And today's wrestler, and they're doing the same things, and they're educated, they're going to learn a hard lesson. I wonder, I wonder, can you hear that? Is it like feeding back on you? Now it's stopped. It's so strange. Do you think anybody talks to them now? Because it just, it just seems like today's workers are so soft and they're so protected and it's just all about what they look like on social media and none of what you've been describing in the past or Chris Benoit's story. None of that seems to be inserted in in today's wrestling it it it, bum, it bums me out and it's very similar to music like i don't think any of these kids that are coming up like they just and who's got a, a show coming out dave grohl has like a show about you know getting in the he's all the promo has been is getting in the van getting in the van getting in the van like you don't know what it is to be in a band or do music until you just get in the van and you see what happens and you travel and it's grueling. And even on nights, like we'll play a, we'll, we'll, we'll do a weekend run weekend warriors and come back. And like, when you wake up on a, a Sunday morning, if you played and you traveled all night long, 
you literally wake up and even if you didn't rock out that hard veto, it, 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 and, and I ask all of my friends and people in music, it feels like you got hit by a bus. It literally feels like a train run through, ran through you because of the amount of, of energy. Like how long is the longest match that you've ever done? 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like hour and 10 minutes. Are you freaking kidding me? Okay. So then you get that like ours, if we're doing cover shows, it's not an hour and a half, it's four hours. And then the striking and the loading and then the driving, like the traveling is like, people think, Oh, what's the big deal traveling? Like it knocks you out. I don't know if it's just that you're not in your sleep pattern or it's strange hours or, or, or what it is. But like a lot, it's, I, I think of the kids now that are coming up. It's just like their life is how many streams I can get or, how many downloads and it's like it, it's not even a, and then half that shit's bought or faked anyway so it's you live in this reality that isn't real and i see well, that what i could tell you is the wwe has taken the necessary precautions to educate their people the aew is saying that they've taken the necessary precautions to educate their people i don't know about impact because they don't watch Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know about Ring of Honor or anything, but the two main companies, from what I know of, they do try to educate their people. There's some kind of protocol in place. Um, when you talk about what is in, what you're supposed to do afterwards and how you prepare, does everybody realize that for the past year and change, Everybody's been on a part-time schedule that everybody's wrestling once a week. So nobody should be that run down and not be getting that hurt. But you see the carelessness in the preparation and the demonstration of the match when they're doing the moves and you're working with somebody, people are careless because they're out of practice. You can't be the greatest professional on one day a week. You have to go home to a ring and train. You have to get in there. A lot of guys don't train. They go to the gym. They want to look buff. And then they say, oh, brother, I'm ready. I'm going to do this, do that, do the other thing. Repetition was what you did. I trained four and five times a week at Johnny Rods. And then when I was on the road or when I was on in a territory, I wrestled five, six days a week. And then I went to a wrestling school the next day to work on stuff. Are you kidding? I didn't stay home. Were you married then? Did you have a relationship? Relationship with wrestling, yes. Relationship with others, no. But it's a lonely business when you're trying to make it in the world, just like trying to be a rock star mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're a vocalist and you're trying to make it. There is no us, there's me. And if I don't... And if I don't put the time in for me, I won't make it. So I and me are a pretty big thing on your skyrocket up. There is no family time. There is no relationship time to say because your priorities are your craft. Wrestling comes first. Singing comes first. I don't want to know about nothing. Now, I've heard you talk about on some other podcasts how you tried to make the transition from singer in Los Angeles, the bright lights, the glamour, to go to TNA, but you didn't know the business, mm -hmm. but you had the star mentality of one 
career and then trying to translate it into another career. It's a culture shock that you learned as time went on. Lesson learned. But as you know, if you had to do it over again, would you do it that way to get into wrestling or would you go to a wrestling school and train first? Yeah, yeah I this damn thing. That's a really good point. If I did do it again, it would have been more about me because I was worried about where somebody else was and I was not concentrating on all of the goodness that wrestling, that TNA, that Impact had to offer. I just, I kick myself every day, but you live and learn. We all do. But I do wish that I could go back and I wish... I wish I would have known about multi-level marketing when I was on TV. I wish I would have known about the side hustle. I wished I would have known how to monetize being on television. I wished that I would have known that I should have been shutting the fuck up and listening to all of these great men and women. And afterwards, because I'm not a big partier and I don't drink, but I still would right. go out. And I should have been. I remember I started with Tracy Smothers, like when we were out after matches and things like with a little tape recorder or on my phone. You know, because I was like, what a book I could have written or what a memoir or what. But I was so and I think a lot of wrestlers even then or now are caught up in the wrong stuff. And it's all like it's all what they look like or their persona or perception. And they're not necessarily doing the behind the scenes work for themselves that they should. You know, I look at you. And, you know, you've got all of these different irons in the fire and you've got Patreon and you're on the brand and you're like, what if we would have been doing that back then or we were allowed to, you know, it's like we would just be in a different position than we are now. And I wish I could go back and literally sponge up everything. But you have this mentality, especially I lived in Beverly Hills and I had a fat record deal and publishing deal veto. And I thought that everything was going to last forever. And I thought the money was going to always be coming in. And then I had that. And then I had the wrestling contract and that money coming in and, and, and. And I just thought, you know, nobody back then, like you went to your wrestling school, like nobody ever, even in regular school, they don't teach you fi financial literacy. They don't teach you about investments. They don't teach you about mutual funds or IRAs or the stock market or now cryptocurrency. They don't teach you anything. And I should have been putting money away and I should have been saving and I should have just been doing more than wondering where the hell the guy that I was dating was at that night or whose room or what rat he was with, you know? And it's like that me time that you're talking about, I wished I would have taken more me. I'm in my 40s. I've never gotten married. I don't have any kids. I'm still doing entertainment. I'm still doing acting. And I probably always will. That's just where I, what I'm cut from. But I knew that at eight years old, I told my mom, you're not going to have grandchildren, mom, because I was already modeling by the time I was three. And I know what that feels like and I like to create not only to like to create I like to finish and there is a fix about creating and finishing there's a fix about planning a match or going over it in your head or what are these gonna what's the moves gonna be or what's the psychology what's my opponent you go in there you give it your all and you complete it and that's one for the record there that's something that a lot of people that have just a not a regular job but a nine to five or they don't understand what that that creating and completing does for you. It's a, it's a it's a high. No, it is. You make a good point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna elaborate on something. If when I was in WCW, I was engaged, right? 
and I was making good money, I was a champion, I was doing all this stuff. But the person who was my partner wanted to travel with me, wanted to be there, wanted to do these things. And that wasn't the wrestling business. You don't bring your wife or girlfriend on the road with you. You just no. don't do it, right? And then when you have the distraction and you're fighting, and it's like, all right, now you move on and you go to do all these other things and you're out there, you're not thinking about anybody at home but me. It's Vito, I'm a bull. I'm, you can't rock me. You can't beat me. That's it. I'm just a, I'm just a beast, right? Mm -hmm. So now, if I had this run and I had my wife present, could I concentrate on my career knowing that she needs me at home to take care of her? How could I be that beast and that self-conscious? Because when I got married this time, I said, Family first, wife comes first, wrestling is second. I don't want to know nothing. This is the way I'm going to do it because I learned from my mistakes. And right out of the gate, bang, she gets hurt on a wedding day, right? So what do you do? And I had wrestling. And I'm like, I'm not leaving. You take the job, shove it up. But Vito, we can I said, I don't care. I said, I'm not leaving my wife. I can't do it. I can't. I just won't do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Turned out like for a year when after she got out of the hospital, it was a learning process how to be a husband, how to um, deactivate from wrestling, and how to take care of a handicapped person. Like you're like, okay, I had to suck this in. There wasn't anybody in the world who gave me two months. He said, Vito, you're out of there. I said, I got married to be married because I said, can't leave your wingman, right? So as you went on, her health never got better. So I never went back to wrestling. I was like, you know, even though, okay, I'm not working, I'm taking care of her. You know, money's tight. We're trying to make you know, ends meet. But I couldn't leave her behind. And I could not go and wrestle and be me if I knew I had something back there that's dependent on me to come home. But what if, right? Would something happen? I'm out, I can't worry about me. I got to worry about her. So that is the same kind of concept you went through in TNA. You know what I mean? How could you concentrate? When you have this kind of career, you need a partner who's going to be willing to back you, somebody who's not dependent on you, somebody who's able to have their own life. And it is very hard to have a marriage or a relationship doing something like this if the other person is not 100% in your core. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it does, when you were describing uh, the first half of that before the accident came in for the injury, it reminds me of why people get so, they're like, well, I don't understand you're Catholic and I don't understand why priests can't get married and other religions, the pastor and the minister gets married and in our religion, I'm a Catholic, Roman Catholic, exactly what you were just describing, I mean, in not so many words, but so many words, like that priest, that parish head is the beast. He's the guy that is taking the calls in the middle of the night. He's going and doing anointing of the sick. He's giving the, the command, the sacraments. He's, he's, he's available at the drop of the hat for everybody. That is what he took as his oath. And wow. it, it's very, very similar to that. And it's hard to explain to people that aren't Catholic, like our, our priests are just like, 
the ones that are good and aren't molesting little boys, thank you very much, the good ones are really doing their duty and it would be very, very difficult for them with everybody that they've got to take care of. It would be difficult for them um, to be married. And I, I thought about that and I thought when I was doing, especially when I was starting out with my career, it was just like, maybe it was because I was Catholic, maybe it's because I had that upbringing, but I was like, you know, I really want to be present for this. Come TNA, I, I wish... I could have gone to wrestling school, that's one option, or I could have listened to all of the people that were trying to help me, um, and I did, but I still was distracted by a guy. I still was distracted about dumb shit that I should have been more selfish and should have been worried about myself because things come, things go, and I can't get that time back with somebody that I gave my time to. So in the future, you proceed with caution with people and you kind of sit back and you assess things and you, uh, like I said, proceed cautiously with people to see where they're at, how the chips lie with them. So for me, there are times now that I wish I had more children. Really? I, for the person I am now today, I would make the exceptional father the exceptional right you learn how to have patience you learn how to be home you learn how to do these things before i wanted no part of family kids nothing i don't want no responsibility because i got to be out there and i got to do my thing i don't have time but then when you look at it you say okay my opportunity passed by you know and like you know sometimes i like yeah i wonder what would happen if i had you know, I probably would have been rough on boys. It probably would have been easier on girls. But if I had them today, I think that the whole ball of wax and the whole concept change. You know, my wife tells me all the time, you'd be wonderful with kids. You'd be a good father. I say, yeah. I said, I think I'll just leave it at that. It's like, you know, hey, I could, I could have been one hell of a, but I am proud of the fact that I'm one hell of a husband. That is important to me because from being a bachelor and a playboy and doing everything and then running around and you know, then you say, okay, I'm gonna do this. And to be the man I am today and take care of my wife and I could, I cook, I clean, I shop, I laundry. I, you know, I take care of the house, I take care of everything. Not too many guys could do that, you know what I mean? And plus if your wife in the beginning is incapacitated where you have to push her around in a wheelchair, how many people in life say, hey, I got you. When you know, they say, would somebody push you in a wheelchair if you needed to? I did it for my wife. You know, would somebody do it for me? I would hope so. But she was on the other foot. Today, she's rehabilitated to where she enjoys life. She could help be a little better, of course, but she's happy. You see her on the podcast, you see pictures of her, she's enjoying her life. But from when she had the stroke to now, I can't tell you like the trauma I went through and like just her being like that. And then to see it today, we're all grateful. I'm happy. I'm happy. Well, you know that you had a huge part in that. And that's my dad was my mom's caregiver in the end. And her whole life she was terminal. But that's what I'll always remember about him and not a lot of the bumps in the road that we had as uh, 
father-daughter relationship. We didn't get along so well. We didn't get along at all. It was horrible. Um, but the thing that I'll remember is how he really stepped up to the plate when, when it was needed. So, you know, much applause to you on that. And I, I appreciate you for doing that. That's, that's, I appreciate it. that's the measure. I, I can say this, you know, you can have good looks and be handsome and have the biggest thing in the world, but the measure of the man is what he does in his family life. And if you can't step up and take care of your wife or your family, mm-hmm. that's how you measure it as a man. No, it took I a long time to figure it out. So I agree, and I don't want to keep you longer than our time, but I do have to ask where the origin of the the dress gimmick came from. I'm just fascinated by it because I only know you from the brand, and then you know over the last year or two being with Vince and everything, I see all of this stuff, and I was like, you looked amazing, but like, where did that come from? That was an idea from Vincent Stepanuri, man. He said, do you think you could wear a dress? I said, yes. Do you think you could travel around? I said, absolutely. It was an opportunity given to me, being I had 15 years in the business and I was groomed. How do you pull it off? You have to know how to work. And there were people who say, hey, Vito, why don't you try this and let's try that. And then you're figuring it out on the go. And then you take off and you say, okay, I'm undefeated. I'm the most recognizable pro athlete. I pose for Playgirl magazine tastefully. Um, I do all these great things. And then I'm still remembered for the same gimmick. So it was successful. And if I put it on today, being I've been on this diet for seven months and I did it, my body looks really good right now. Like, and I, I have tried on a dress. And I'm banging in it, and I'm like, oh, man, if I do this again, boy, oh, boy, you know, it'd be good. Because before, I was ahead of my time. But now, today, I would fit in with today's culture. Pretty big oh, wow. That That is, do you think that Noelle is feeling well enough now that you could do some things? Yeah, without a doubt. Now, she, she is at a point where I don't have to be... As worried, and I know that like I can go and I can come, and everything would be cool because I learned how to deal with it and I learned how to handle it. And she's at a place in her life where she can be take care of herself a little bit. Will we be seeing some matches from you in the future? I think so. I I cannot wait for that. I cannot wait. I would I would literally fly out wherever you were and pop hard for that. I would love to see you work. That would be like just an honor, guys. I am not doing this diet and I'm not doing all this stuff just to look pretty. I mean, I already did look pretty, but I mean, right now I'm lean. I got, I got a little bit, a little bit more to go to be like in perfect prime shape, but I'm telling you, just stay tuned. Goldie will get the first look and get, get this, get to see it and say, Oh my God, I can't believe this. You're awesome. I cannot that's wait. Not, I cannot and that's wait. before, that's even before I wrestle. Just, just look at my dress and say, Oh my God, you're awesome. I can't wait. It is the top of the hour and you've got some things that you have to do. And I really appreciate you coming on. I've had so many people ask if, if you would just come on and let me ask my questions. And the ones that I did want to ask were, you know, just about brain, God, I'm like all screwed up brain injury. And you brought up, uh, organically, you brought up Chris Benoit and I, I wasn't around in wrestling when that whole thing went down. We actually, um, we actually debuted one of our videos for uh, suicide prevention on Chris Benoit's birthday 
uh, mm. two year two years ago. We wanted it to come out in honor of his son, who's you know walking in his footsteps. And I think it's important to remember, like you brought him up, like the great things that he did, the how he contributed to the business, and you know, I guess in the back of the, my mind, in the forefront of my mind, I would have to think that that what he did had to come from some sort of mental trauma. Everybody that you've talked to, that I've talked to, that you've heard, that, that's been interviewed, said that there was no signs of that guy ever being like that, that he was a family guy, that he loved his kids, that he loved his family. And that's why I thought it was really important that we brought, you know, that we bring that up. And then, you know, any of the, the workers that watch this, it's just there's certain things that you can do to protect yourself in the business. And if you're educated, then why would you jump off of a building and do a burning table with like, I don't know, maybe it's hardcore and I'm old fashioned and you shouldn't hurt yourself, but can you still be hardcore and cool and not stupid in your opinion? You could do it safely where you're not killing yourself, guys. The stuff you see, some of the stuff you see today, I mean, AEW tries to do Japanese style death matches that you don't usually see here in the States, but realistic wise and cutting yourself up and being like that, you could do hardcore with all the toys and be safe, you know? And uh, I never jumped in thumbtacks. I never went to glass. I never did barbed wire. Um, I never went through a burning table, but I was probably one of the best hardcore guys of our generation. And I did it safely. Why did Kurt Angle really not want to work with you as far as like work out with you? Now, I used to work out every day when I was in WWE and I used to go in the ring and I wrestled. So I had asked him a couple times about Olympic style training and I started doing it plus going and wrestling. So I was in really good shape and I was like, you know, I just had that look. You just, when you have a look about you, I'm beast. I want you. I want to taste you. So my thing was, if I was going to go and wrestle Kurt Angle, if I hung with him, hey, awesome for me. If he if he whooped me, I got beat by a gold medalist. But if I hung with a gold medalist and I was a basketball player, I'm all right. He never did it though, huh? Never did it. Never said, Vito, you have that look? No. There's some guys you could just tell that might have your number or might have that look and you just say, eh, I'll pass. And one thing about wrestling, guys, you could be a tough guy and you could be known as a fierce son of a bitch, but tough guys don't fight tough guys all the time if you ever notice. Because one guy has to lose. That's really interesting. Oh, this damn microphone. Last thing before you go, what did you learn the most hanging out at Hogan's house that somebody wouldn't think that you picked up? Was it something about him being a family man? Was it just something you saw at his place? Or what can you take back, take home from all the times that you ended up at his house hanging out? Hogan's Beach, guys. Let me tell you something. It was the biggest hangout place in, in, in Clearwater, Florida, and everybody wanted to be there. I was privileged to be there every weekend, right? I would play volleyball. It had the vibe. It had the scene. It had the Miami look. It had everything you wanted. Bikinis, good looks, drinks, everything. It had that 
Jersey Shore vibe, it had Cape May vibe, it had every vacation spot that you wanted, right? It's just that it got so huge and so big, and then things behind the scenes happened, and it wasn't there no more, and it tore it down. But he has another successful place in St. Petersburg that is actually doing very well. But I don't know if it has all of the same features as the previous Hogan's. There was jet skiing. I love jet skiing. There was a bandstand where they had bands come in. I don't know if it's there. But the food is good. The drinks are good. Friendly atmosphere. And Hogan's there more often. So if you're going to go to Hogan's, go do it, guys. Plus, if you need Italian sauce, go to Goomba Sauce at the Sauce Fella. That's our sponsor. You know, that's who sponsors the Big Vito brand. That's who helps us out. Um, we have uh, a whole bunch of other sponsors, but I'm going to let Goldie do that because I usually mess it up and I get yelled at from the wife. So I'll let Goldie do it and finish it out. Maybe put it in print. Hey, catch Big Vito at, on uh, Twitter at the Big Vito brand and Facebook at the Big Vito brand. And we'll get it. And we do have a really, really amazing Patreon that I've seen some of your stuff and it's just off the charts. So we want to tell everybody to go over and support patreon.com slash, and I'll have to put it up for you so that we don't get it wrong, but you do have a great Patreon. And as always, we can see you on the Realm Network on Russo's brand. Big Vito, thanks for making uh, 40 minutes or so and some change to come talk and just chat. It's been such a long time. I could literally talk to you for another six hours. So many questions, but thanks for giving us some of your time and just a, a little in, anytime insight. Anytime you want, anytime you want, just let me know and we'll get it on. Thank you, Goldie's peeps. Thank you very much for looking and supporting Goldie. Keep on doing it. If you get a chance, come check us out. I'm not saying you have to subscribe, but just press the like button. That would be cool. And uh, peace out, yo. I'm out. All right. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Just doing the daily check-ins on Patreon. Wanted to wish you the greatest start to your week. Come on over to Patreon. We're doing a lot of customized love. We just want to make sure everybody's getting the attention that they need and deserve, and that's merited. But we still want to come by on regular social media platforms and say thank you so much for being here, both for me and for the band. Love you, and as always, stay golden.